One of the most remarkable things about Joseph, you know, as we've been studying his life, uh, was where the Lord brought him to as a ruler, but also where the Lord brought him from. You know, and I'm not so much referring to his time as a slave or a prisoner, but his time just before that of the event that took place that kind of precipitated his being sold as a slave. Um, because if you think about what happened to him, what his brothers did, you know, of that would scar anyone for life. You think about that, what, how someone would feel if you're, all of your family, or at least your siblings, got together and said, you don't deserve to be in our family. You deserve to be sold as a slave and never see us again. You know, what, what that would have done, uh, you know, and, and of course, and then they threw him in a pit, right? And they, uh, it says they listened to him cry and they didn't have pity upon him as he cried out, um, and that's what makes Joseph's story so amazing. He got over that. And he doesn't just, you know, get over it. He triumphed. He was cleansed from that. You know, I'm sure he was, he was a human being. That had an effect. That had a deep effect on him. That, that was probably agonizing. But yet he was able to meet God. You know, that he really... He shouldn't have made it through that journey that he took in body, soul, or spirit. But God preserved him. You know, the potential was very real in Joseph that he could have never come out of that pit. Now, when I say that, he came out in the natural, but he could have stayed in a pit of uh, anger, bitterness, offense, and that could have stayed with him his whole life where he was in a pit and couldn't, you know, and, and it would have consumed him. Thing is, is I don't think it, I don't think Potiphar would have chosen him to be over his household if he was in a pit of anger and self-pity and despair and, and all of those things, or or over the prison. Instead, he was able to meet with God and be delivered from those things. And, you know, when I think of of this aspect of Joseph's life, this period, I some of the words of the Psalms of David come to my mind, especially Psalm 40. Psalm 40 in verse 1 says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me. He heard, he heard my cry. Right? Joseph's brothers didn't hear him, but God did. And he brought me out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock and he established my steps and goes on and preceding verses talks about how he put a new song in him. You know, Joseph, he met with God and he was delivered from that spiritual and emotional pit that he was in. And he was set upon the rock of God's cleansing, God's word, God's power. And of course, the end result was not just that he reigned in Egypt, but that he was victorious in his spirit. He was able to put all the past behind him right, and let God to make, make everything new. And we know that because of what he called his firstborn son. Right? Genesis 41, 51. Joseph called the name of his firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me to forget 
all my hardship, he didn't stop there. He said, all my father's house. Because right? there's twofold. It, he went through some hardship in, in, as a slave and a prisoner, but there was also the reality of what happened before that he had to get cleansed from. Right? Who, why his father's house? Because of what his brothers did to him in his father's house. Well, they were supposed to be brothers. And so he had to obtain a deliverance from that experience, from what was done to him, from a great injustice that was done. But thank God he didn't remain in that pit for the rest of his life. He was, he was taken out by God, you know, obtained deliverance from God. Now I'm bringing this out because this is actually a, a really vital message in our day. And I think it's becoming more vital as, as the days progress. It's going to be something very relevant in the last days because Jesus actually warned us explicitly um, about this. So, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to focus on one of those aspects of, of some of the things Joseph experienced. You know, I, you know, I talked about a, a, an emotional pit of anger and bitterness, but I want to look at offense because, you know, that is a pit we can get in. If we get upset at a cert, at a circumstance or we get upset at a person, but really ultimately it's transferred to God because we, we have to go through that and realize, well, God allowed that. See, that can be a pit that we can fall in and we can't get out ourselves. We have to meet God in it. But the Lord explicitly warned us in Matthew 24, one of the dangers of the last days. Verse 10, many will be offended. Many will be offended. And they'll betray one another and hate one another. It boggles my mind. You know, and he's not just talking about the world. He's, and, he's, and he's talking to a group of his disciples. Many will be offended and betray one another. So Jesus warns us as his disciples about the pit of offense that we have to deal with in life, especially in the last days. Uh, the Greek word for offense, offended, means is scandalon. Scan, I don't know if I'm saying that right. Scandalon. Scandalon. I think that's how it is. But it, it means a trap that causes one to stumble and be drawn into error. And it's the idea that someone could be walking along happy as can be, uh, but then something happens, something difficult, maybe something even unjust, right? Something that they didn't deserve, something bad that other people, they, they did what was wrong, but yet somehow it enters into our heart and we can't get over it. And we don't really want to let it go because that other person didn't suffer for it, but we're suffering. And if we let it go, they get off scot-free. They really don't. But yet some, that's how our spirit can reason within us at times if we're not careful. You know, the danger of being offended is we just don't let it go. So we keep rehearsing it, can't move past it. And the dangerous thing is if we allow it to continue, it can affect our eternity. You want to hear a scary story? This is church, so it's not that scary. But it's, it's, it's 
a, a story that I read in one of our textbooks that we use in our, our university. So it's an instructive, but a little scary. So there was once a woman who was a vibrant, vibrant witness for Christ. Her ministry brought hundreds of people to the Lord, uh, but her husband wasn't consecrated. And unfortunately, uh, he fell into moral sin and, you know, he committed sin. But he also had deep remorse because of it. And he felt the conviction of the Lord and he wanted to make his life right. Uh, and so he came and asked his wife for forgiveness. She refused. Instead, she hardened her heart against her husband and against the Lord. And she kind of complained. She said, Lord, I've been faithful to you, but you allowed this to happen. And in reality, she said, you have not been faithful to me. You didn't keep my husband faithful to me. She refused to overcome that offense. And listen to this. It says she died cursing God. She failed to receive grace, to let go of that offense, to be cleansed of that offense, even when she didn't do anything wrong. Isn't, isn't that the, the terrible thing about that? She didn't do anything wrong except to not forgive and to let go and to let God wash away all of those, those things. And this is important because, in a sense, if we want to be disciples, at some point, we're going to be tested on this. We are all going to be tested on offense. We will have to experience the rock of Christ. You know, he's our foundation, but, but we're also facing times when the rock opposes our way and something we want to do and we have to say, Lord, okay, I'll yield to you. Lord, I want to change, cleanse me. But, you know, we have that choice whether we stumble over it or whether we let him work in us. And if we stumble over it, we can get offended. Of course, one of the greatest examples is, is Jesus preaching to his disciples in John chapter 6. Right? And that's when he begins to talk about the crucified life. And at this point, he has hundreds of disciples. You know, many have followed him, just being amazed at the miracles and the power of God flowing and multitudes are coming to him. And then he starts talking about, well, the crucified life. You need to start receiving the true bread from heaven and eating me. Right? Now, now there was a meaning, meaning there that those naturally minded people weren't getting. But even the disciples didn't get it. Right? It, was, it was a hard thing. And, and, and they said, this is a hard thing. Who can, who can receive this? As the disciples were saying it. And so he asked them, he said, does this offend you? And, of course, we have that profound verse in John 6, 6, 6. Sometimes God... Well, don't, not sometimes. God is in control of the, how the verses were set up. You know, when you look at this, it said, From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. And we can link that to what Jesus said in Matthew 24. Many will be offended. You know, and so... They became offended at that point. They followed him no more. And when you stop following and progressing, 
you go backwards, right? You never very seldom do you just stay there. And that's one of the dangers of the pit of offense, kind of linking it back to Joseph. But somehow, those 12, or really the 11, because one of them got offended and did the unthinkable, betrayed the Lord. But they were able to look beyond uh, that hard experience to what really mattered. And of course, Jesus asked them, that after that, everyone else left, he turned to the, to the 12 and he, and he said, well, what are you going to do? Let's read that, John 6 and verse 67. He says, will you go away also? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. At the end of the day, that's really what matters. As disciples of Christ, we have to be willing to do whatever it takes, endure whatever we have to, to get cleansed from whatever needs to get, be cleansed in order to follow the Lamb. And so it's essential that we realize that there will be many opportunities in life to fall into this pit. Sometimes we will, just because we're human. And the days that we're coming into, Jesus says, this is going to be something we have to watch out for as disciples. There are many who will be, become offended. You know, they've walked with the Lord in a pathway God's ordained for them, but they become offended and they leave that pathway. But Jesus has made provision for us, just like with Joseph. And that's amazing how in the Old Testament, he was able to apprehend what he needed to from God. How much more us in the New Testament who have the Holy Spirit with us, that we have everything we need to conquer, to triumph, to get out of that pit. And I just wanted to look for a, a moment at a few ways well, my introduction took longer than I thought it would. Just a few ways. We'll go through this quick. Now, the first thing we can consider is how Jesus, the first time he came to obtain the greatest victory of all time in the universe, when he came as a lamb. That's how he got the victory. It's when he came as a lamb. He's coming again as a lion, but you know, the victory's already been won. So he's not coming again to get the greatest victory. It's just to wipe out enemies, you know, and establish his kingdom. He's already accomplished that victory. And how did he do it? He did it as the lamb. You know, I was just looking up in Revelation about the lamb. And I, you know, I, I was kind of, it never occurred to me. There's eight verses in Revelation that refers to the lamb upon the throne. And it's, a, it's an eternal sense that we're going to be worshiping the lamb upon the throne <clears throat> for all eternity. And then I looked up, well, how many verses are there about the lion on the throne? There's none. He is the lion of Judah and he's coming back as the lion to defeat his and conquer his enemies. And we're grateful for that. But you know, it's the lamb upon the throne because it's the nature of the lamb through the nature of the Lamb, that we obtain victory, that we obtain grace, that we can triumph. The problem is when we reverse it and we, we start off as the lion, because what, what's the thing about the lion? The lion doesn't like to yield. The lion is the king and he wants to, you know, it's my way. And when the lion roars, you usually give it the lion his way and get out of the way. But you see, when we respond like the lion... 
we say, well, I've got my rights and, you know, I, I didn't deserve what, what happened in this situation or for this person to say that or, or so forth. But, you know, what that does is it leads to bitterness and offense and all those things. Pastor Paul Karam said, it's not the lambs who become offended and bitter, but the Lord's. All right. And so what is the key is for us to become like the lamb. The lamb, and really one of the things about the lamb from Scripture is the lamb is the sacrifice. The lamb is the one who lays down its life, who has no rights, who has, you know, no, no dreams or visions of its own. Its only purpose is to become a living sacrifice. Well, in the Old Testament, they, would, they wouldn't be a living sacrifice. But in the New Testament, we are. We can be like the lamb and lay down our will and our rights. But then we're walking in the way of the lamb. And that's how we obtain the greatest victory. God does not promise that we won't experience injustice and those kinds of situations that can you know, cause us to fall into the pit. What he does promise is that he has everything we need to triumph, to ascend out of that, and to, and to walk in victory if we'll continue to follow him in that way. 1 Peter 2 and verse 21 says, For this, to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. When he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And so the key in that, in overcoming offense, is to take on the nature of the lamb, to be like the lamb. And how we respond and how we remember, right, to entrust our hurts and our sorrows to the the just judge who will take care of all of that at one point, at one day. He'll take care of that. And he gives us grace, right? He gives us everything we need to respond in the right way. And that's another key right, that we can consider, right? If we're going to overcome, we need grace to overcome because we recognize this isn't, we can't just say, okay, Daniel, buck up and have a good attitude. And, you know, we have to have grace to overcome offenses because offenses are spiritual. And so we have to come to him. You know, God divinely enabled Joseph to get out of that pit in his spirit. Of course, it also ties directly into our previous point about the lamb because who does God give grace to? James 4, 6. He gives more grace, right? More grace than anything in, that our situation will require. And therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Maybe you could say a synonym. He gives grace to the lambs those who will just lay down and just submit to his way. And, you know, sometimes we just have to humble ourselves and acknowledge, Lord, I need your help. I'm struggling with how I'm dealing with this, what this person said or this situation. Oh, would you give me your grace? And he wants to pour out his grace. And so we can, you know, we can come with confidence and boldness to his throne to find grace in time of need when when we need it. One last aspect we can consider is back in Joseph's life was the name he gave to his firstborn son. 
Manasseh. God caused me to forget. Now, I mentioned that thought of continually coming to the throne, and that, that's a really important thought because have you ever had a situation you're trying to deal with and get cleansed from, and you come and you pray and say, Lord, I forgive that person, or Lord, I'm, you know, I'm just giving that to you, and you walk away and think, well, okay, that's done, but yet it's not done. It's still in there. You think about that, and it's still painful. Oh, and it still hurts, and you know, the hurt rises up again, and you just, you know, it's and it's like, Lord, but I I forgave. What happened? But sometimes it's a process that we have to let God work in us, and we just have to keep time coming time after time to the Lord. Lord, cleanse me. Lord, I don't want this in my heart. Take bring me out that I can stand upon the rock. One of the best illustrations of that is a story, I think I probably told this many times, but this is a story that bears repeating because we want to remember it. We want to practice it and rehearse it. But there was a missionary and his wife who were in India, and you know some, some single girls came to visit, and these single girls wanted to get married, and they were kind of jealous of you know this married missionary and his wife. And and so one day the husband was off ministering and the, the ladies were there and they said some kind of cruel things to the, to the wife of the missionary. Things that were hurtful, that, that weren't right. They didn't treat her kindly. And after they left, uh, you know, the wife couldn't, she was having trouble getting over them. She would weep whenever she thought about that. And it was, it was so painful in her heart. And, and then the Baileys came to visit. And of course, so she shared with Sister Bailey and and Sister Bailey just responded, oh dear, you need a Manasseh. What's a Manasseh? Well, she, she was said, God wants you to forget the pain of that experience. So, and so she advised her, whenever that comes back to you, just pray and ask God to give you your Manasseh. And so she did that. And this stuff kept coming, you know, so she had to keep praying, Lord, Give me a Manasseh. Wipe this away that I wouldn't have anything against these people that I could think about it and not feel this pain. And she just kept praying and praying. It took a while, but she said after a time, she realized she, she hadn't even been thinking about it. And then she could think back and it, and it wasn't, it's like, you know, sometimes God can just wipe it from your memory. I know Pastor Bailey talked about that. But sometimes you can remember, but then you look, you think back, God's, he's cleansed away the pain. It's not painful to think about. It's just something that happened. In fact, you can rejoice when you remember it because God gave me the victory over that. But that's, that's the experience God wants to give to us. And so, you know, forgetfulness is really tied to God washing that experience from us, the pain, so that we're free. We're free to to follow him, we're free to yield to him. And, you know, when we're faithful to come to God and let him deal with our shortcomings, our weakness, he will impart his grace and it will set us free. And as Jesus said in John 8, 36, if the son of man, or if the son makes you free, you are free indeed. That's the kind of freedom we want to have, true freedom and deliverance when we come to him. And so Joseph is our role model. 
you know, of one of the of one who experienced the ultimate betrayal. He was literally and figuratively put into a pit, you know, by his brothers, but really by God. And that's what you had. He had to acknowledge God allowed that to happen for his brothers to get together. Who would think that would brothers would get together and sell your brother, little brother into slavery? But God allowed it to happen. But and he had the opportunity to get bitter, to be offended with his family, with God. But somehow he met with God in that as a slave and as a prisoner. And God lifted him up out of that horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set him upon a rock and gave him a new song. And that's what God wants for all his people, to be cleansed of the past, past hurts, and experience true freedom requires humility. To putting our, you know, upon ourselves the nature of the lamb. And that's something we have to practice each day, you know. And sometimes we fail at that and we got the lion on us. And we need to say, Lord, I'm sorry. Cleanse away the lion. I need the lamb. There's sometimes we need to be bold for God, but most of the time we need the lamb. And we have to continually come to his throne to, to obtain grace, to overcome. Until we receive our Manasseh, and those things are wiped away, and he makes all things new. So that we're walking in the same pathway as the Lamb, and he can lead us wherever he goes. But you know, that, that verse in Revelation 14, that group on Mount Zion, that kind of gives you some new context. Right? They followed the lamb wherever they, he led them. What does that mean? They became like lambs in order to walk in that way. And so we need that nature upon us to overcome as he did. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's, I just want to close with a song. And then I'm going to come back and pray and just give opportunity for God to, to just do a fresh work in our hearts. Maybe we, maybe we need a fresh working of the lamb in our lives and so in our responses and in following him, you know, or maybe we just need some things from the past cleansed away. I think God is here to do a fresh work, to pour out fresh grace. Amen. Amen. Well, let's, let's just stand together and we can, we can sing and close.